Hey everybody, this is Tyler with Better Climbing Beta. Just wanted to take a quick second before we got this episode started to do a quick shout out to our sponsors. As always, we've got Taft's Ale House right here in Cincinnati. They've been killing it in the beer game. Uh, my personal favorite right now is their Cincy Cobra. So if you're in the city and you're looking for some great craft beer, we'd urge you to either hit up their downtown location, uh, the Taft's Ale House, or their new Brewporium location up in Northside. We also have Vanderwall Climbing out from San Mateo, California. Uh, we actually have some exciting news for them. Along with the uh, 510 Stealth C4 rubber they've been using, they've now added also their uh, the Vibram XS Edge, XS Grip 2, and Dot Rubber. Um, they also are now certified to do the No Edge resole for, uh, for the Sportiva shoes. Um, they've also let us know that now they're, their resole game is picking up so much that they're focusing mostly on that. So the chalk bags and uh, hangboards have been removed from the website. Um, but as always, if you're interested in a great resole, hit up Vanderwall Climbing. Now for this episode, we've got uh, our good buddy Bobby, a.k.a. Doc Nar. He's just sent some uh, really awesome project of his, and we got him on the episode to talk about that and what it's like juggling projecting when you've got full-time job and a whole life on top of that. So thanks for listening as always, and here we go. Everybody, this is your host Michael Hargis with Better Climbing Beta. On this episode, we have two very important people. The first important person is a guy you've probably heard of, but I'll let him introduce himself. It's your boy <laughs> Tyler. <laughs> I'm 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 gonna go ahead and say it. I'm still ho- I'm host. Oh, you're ho- oh, I, shit. I still felt good about the last episode. Were you the host of the last episode? I don't think so. It's we didn't my, put that episode We're about out. to air it. Oh, okay. But I was the host, and that felt so good that I'm not relinquishing. So you can host, Tyler, but I'm also hosting. Tyler's on a power trip. That's what this Feels is about. Feels good. Well, you, you earned it, man. You man, put a lot man, of work in. Me. I'm like petting this cat like an evil. <laughs> it's kind of scary. Welcome to my lair. Well, and then we have another guest. Yep. We have a a, a guy who goes by the alias Doc Nar. <laughs> Doc Nar. Can you say hello? Hey, how's this, it going? This is our buddy Bobby. Uh, Bobby is a doctor and a rock climber. He's going to kind of talk to us a little bit about a route that he's been trying. So, uh, without further ado, Bobby, can you tell us, you know, how old you are, what you do for a living, and how long you've been climbing? All right. So apparently, I'm 32 at this point. Do you feel 32? Not at all. Really? How no, old do you? My feel? girlfriend has to remind me that I'm 32 now. Is it because you're not very responsible? I just birthdays. I don't. You're in. I'm not you're in birth, denial. I'm not, a big, I'm not a big birthday guy. How about that? Wow, what happened to you? Do you do you not get gifts? This is <laughs> no this one showed ha- up yeah. to his birthday party one year. So <laughs> I was like, I'm never doing this again. Uh, not again. I just I just never felt like your birthday was something really worth 
celebrating a whole Who lot. Who didn't that. hold you? Did I you, mean, come did on. Did your dad not How hold many you? hundreds of thousands, millions of people also have a birthday on that same day. So it's just never, I don't know, I never. Jesus, this is dark. This I episode's going to suck. When's your birthday, man? I need to take, we need to yeah. take you out for a beer. Yeah, when's your birthday? Yeah. I mean, I, I like to go out and get Time dinner on Let me guess birthday. your sign. Can I guess your sign? Go for it. Dude, I'm getting a Scorpio vibe. Is he a Scorpio? What do you got? I don't know. That's the only one I know. <laughs> I'm getting a, uh, nah, I'm feeling, I'm feeling Capricorn. The Capricorn. Damn. Bam. Holy shit. That, you're the host. I'm the I'm host. Done. I'm, done. <laughs> I'm gonna do some tarot card well, readings later. Well, since you guessed Cap, like, what was it? Capricorn. Capricorn. What? What gave that away? Was it because he was somber about his? Yeah, birthday? he just doesn't want to. You know, he's over here. Have you heard me? Him. Have you seen me climb and try hard? I've got a very uh, Capricorn sound. A very Capricorn sounding power scream. What the fuck? I don't know what a Capricorn <laughs> power scream is. Well, a Capricorn. Corn's a goat. Right. So oh, are you... Ah! <laughs> We're going to have to edit that out. <laughs> That's too much. It's not a... It, with the, it's a ba. Uh, ba! Like that. Yeah. But with, with the... Uh, yeah, there you go. A little bat. bit of that. Nice. Maybe I'm a Capricorn. I don't even know. You're a Virgo. So, I'm a Virgo. I don't know what my birthday is. I'm like Bobby. I don't celebrate my birthday because, you know, no one came to my party. <laughs> so you're old as fuck. You're 32. Yeah. You peaked. So that's probably why you don't want... When do you peak in... When's the cutoff? Because like... I don't know. Mike Weasley climbs harder than I do, and he's I mean, 70. 72 now. So. Guys in their 60s climbing 514 now. Yeah, I don't know. Oh, man, that's crazy. Do you think it took them that long? Like they started when they were little kids? And no, took I mean. Fu- Is it going to take me that long to take, climb 514? Uh, or take, you know, Jerry, you know, our good friend, oh, yeah. uh, Jerry Kripal. He yeah. didn't start climbing until post-emergency uh, medicine residency. I think he was, so what would that make him? Probably in his early 30s. But he's a freak. And he was climbing 513 in his... I guess his mid forties, jeez, late forties. We have hope, yeah. Tyler. Yeah, but you can't drink as much beer as I do. <laughs> yeah, that's my thing. Yeah, and he's, a, and he's a big guy. He's a he, big. He dude. was a semi pro. I mean, apparently he was going to go pro with football, but his one of his football coaches kind of sabotaged his NFL application or however the hell you do that, and yeah. decided he he needed he wanted him to go to medical school instead, and so wow. he ended up going to medical school. And uh, I think when he started climbing, he weighed like 240 pounds Jeez. of just pure of muscle. muscle. Oh. And you've seen Jerry. Dude, he's that guy's ripped. like Michelangelo. He, <laughs> he's a Greek guy. Every time he takes off his shirt, it just makes me Women feel of all ages squeal. And some men. <laughs> it's I very mean. uncomfortable. Yeah. And then I feel differently about yeah. men when I see him too. I'm a- I hope Jerry doesn't listen to this podcast. He probably doesn't listen to this podcast. <laughs> he's, he's sophisticated. So you're 32. Yeah. What do you do for a living? So I'm a emergency medicine uh doctor i'm in my fourth uh i like to my last month my fourth year of residency so i graduate from emergency medicine residency uh at the end of uh, june wow okay and i'll be starting i'm actually i could be done with this madness but i decided to continue on the path of insanity and go on a two-year fellowship in critical care Mm -hmm. so i'll be moving to denver this july to do a two-year critical care fellowship so is that the same as people who graduate college and then they go to get their masters because they don't know what to do with their lives is that the same thing i think there are similarities but there's a there's an end game here there's oh an okay end game, yeah. like you're just gonna be in mountains full of debt and you'll never so the idea one. is after an emergency medicine residency i'm i'm i'll be board certified to work in an emergency department any emergency department any hospital in this country wow. and i currently moonlight so i i do that um 
on the side. I worked a shift last night, a 12-hour shift at uh, one of our local community ERs. So when you say a 12-hour shift, like when do you start, when do you finish? Um, it can depend. I was working the, the swing shift, they say, which okay. covers the busiest hours of the day in the early evening. So typically coming in around 10 or 11 in the morning and leaving around 10 or 11 at night. Jeez. Wow. Okay. Crazy. So long days. Very long days. So how long has schooling been? Like how long have you been doing this, so this dance? This will be 12 years uh, post high school. And then after I've completed my two-year fellowship, that'll be 14 years. So four years of undergrad, four years of medical school, four years of residency, and then two years of fellowship for me. Wow. Yeah. So when did you start rock climbing? I started rock climbing at the beginning of medical school. So wow. I was 23. Was there a, a specific catalyst that got you into it? Or was it just like Michael's story? I was There was a wall. I tried it out and never stopped. So I've... I did the Boy Scouts, and so yeah. I've always lame. been, yeah, super lame. I was a Girl what, Scout. What was your rank? I got a beef. What'd you uh, make it to? I, I'm an Eagle Scout. Damn, we had two, two Eagles. Eagles. But I was, I was the worst Eagle Scout. I was a super slacker. You I, waited to like? Oh, like a week before I turned 18, I was uh, just getting all that stuff done, and they, oh, I was, uh, I had, and I had really long hair in high school, and hung out with, you know, the... The guys who liked Bob Marley and Jimi Hendrix, and right on. so Bob Marley. they they didn't really want me in the scouts for much longer, but Fair I enough. I got through it. So I started climbing when I was I guess twenty two, twenty three, right around the start of medical school, and so I'd always liked the outdoors, and I'd kind of seen climbing here and there, but didn't really know it was a thing that people did as an active pursuit because I grew up in Texas and did high school in Houston. Uh, undergrad at UT Austin, got a degree there in philosophy. And when I was finishing that up, I was doing some hiking in Austin around the Green Belt and saw some people climbing on the local limestone cliffs there. Um, and the climbing in the central Texas around Austin is limestone climbing on generally short uh, cliff bands along creek beds. Sure, yeah. Maybe 40, 50, 60 feet max. Kind of what we got at the uh, the Mad River Gorge in mm. Springfield. Ohio. Have you been out there? I have not. Okay. Yeah. It's like limestone. It's Got a it. creek. Well, we affectionately call the Texas limestone slimestone. Sick. Because nice. of the humidity and the temperatures, it just really has a unique quality and excellent, excellent friction akin to that of glass. <laughs> nice. Nice. Um, it's like basalt. So, so I saw some 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 climbers on the on the Texas limestone climbing upside down on this roof on a route. I think that's called um, diving for rocks and it just blew my mind. And I was like, whatever they're doing, I need to figure out how they're doing that, and I want to do that too. Damn. And so I got on Google and did some searching what on how to rock, rock climb. climbing. Is that, that's just what doctors do. <laughs> and like, I, I WebMD your results, and I tell you what you got. This is not uncommon. Yeah. <laughs> and then I, I got on Craigslist, and I found uh, a guy down in San Marcos who was trying to sell some used climbing gear. So... You just started making mistakes. <laughs> wow. This is, you need Bas to start listening to our podcast. This is basically how not to rock climb. I can take you through it step by step. So I met this gentleman and he sold me a book and it, I think it was John Long's How to Rock Climb from nice. like circa 1990, as well as a used rope, um, some, <laughs> a couple of cams, some nuts, some weird camming devices, which to this day, I don't know what they were, who made them. Um, and I've never seen them again, as well as uh, about 50 or 60 steel pitons. 
How Jeez. old was this guy that you bought this from? Oh, like he was 70? 70, yeah. Oh, my God. What? That's so what year was this that you... Uh, let's see, I was 22, 23, so this would be 2000, 2009, 2010. So this was already outdated gear when you yeah. got it. Oh, <laughs> yeah, definitely. So uh, I, read his, I read the book, and I grabbed a friend, and then I knew there was a place nearby we could go climbing I called Enchanted Rock, Texas, which in central Texas is like the local trad area. It's characterized by... Um, low angle granite dome climbing with some cracks. Wow. Okay. And we um, sounds like North Carolina. It could be. I haven't climbed North Carolina. Oh, okay. Well, it's a lot of slabby yeah. dome granite. So mm-hmm. That's so interesting. There's some of that in Texas. Yeah. Probably not on the same there's scale. There's a little out, little outcropping of it in Shannon wow. Rock, Texas. That's where mm-hmm. I cut my teeth on rock climbing. So I took a friend who'd never climbed before. Yeah. And that's I usually told him, your your best partner. Yeah, best partner. I told him, hey, we're gonna go rock climbing. He was psyched. I showed him how to belay, even though I'd never really belayed someone before. All right. Recipe for disaster. Keep going. We went to the park and did not have a guidebook. I didn't know you needed a guidebook. So we just walked around. I heard there was some climbing in this one area. We were trying to find an area called the Triple Cracks, I believe. Hmm. And on the way to what we thought were the Triple Cracks, we found a, a boulder with a climb on it, a crack. And I looked at that and I said, hey, that looks like a good climb. Let's do this. No idea what the route was. And we dropped our bag down and I started up this what was a a thin tips seam that had a few pin scars in it. Wow. Was slightly overhanging and seeping. You know what is so fascinating is you started rock climbing the same way like our grandparents probably started rock climbing. Yeah, well, <laughs> just, just like, like aided your the way. Guy who, the guy who sold you his gear. That's right. how he started. Like, <laughs> I just bought some shit. I saw a rock and went, let's figure it out. Yeah. When so I, you when were I, like time warped. That's pretty badass. Yeah, this is no, this is not how you rock climb. When I, when I look back on, I think back to what I did, if I saw myself or saw somebody doing what I did at that time, I would promptly yell at them and shoot them out. This really? Is, oh, this is not how, this was really, Um, this was, borderline reckless um wow, i just is... i just didn't know better because really yeah. like growing up in texas and not having a community of climbers around me at that time there's a much better climbing community in texas now i um i mean in houston you know i just i had no exposure to it sure either. so I was, mentorship I, is huge yeah absolutely enormous um but there was a steep learning curve so i i think you Did know you ever get injured Actually, no. I never had any catastrophic wow. injuries. I definitely had, you know, overuse injuries over the sure. years, especially in the first five, six years I climbed. Um, but nothing but, because you were reckless and stupid. No, no. And really, that climb, what ended up happening was I got about 10 feet up, and then you really had to commit to the <laughs> seam. And I needed to place some gear, so I placed what I thought would fit like a number three or four nut, but it was too yeah. large. And finally found that only the black diamond number one nut would fit and it was you know if you know you know a one two and three nut are just aid pieces really yeah, not meant exactly. to, to yeah. hold anything more than body we're not taking mm-hmm. a fall and i knew i knew in my even though i wasn't a climber <laughs> yet i could sense that was not a good piece of gear so i decided to kind of just take a test static hang on it and see what would happen and of course it popped out oh shit <laughs> and That's i fell good. you know eight feet landing on my butt next to my my friend dan who was horrified jeez and we um so what kept you going what 
kept me seems Yeah, how do you keep quiet? After Honestly, that, you're after like... After that, I was even more psyched. I was really, there any chicks there? Were they in like, wow, Bobby, that, you're hot. Us. Keep doing that. It was okay. just us, yeah. <laughs> you're so hot, we're Bobby. Mobi- I, we're, I guess I'm motivated. 90, it was probably Oh, you're a doctor degrees. too? Oh, wow. Oh, I wasn't a doctor at that time. <laughs> you're in medical school? Oh, wow. At that, at that point, nobody would believe Bobby would become a doctor. <laughs> uh, you're not fucking touching me. That's for dang sure. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's how it started. That's sweet, man. And so, a year and a half later, I was climbing in Yosemite. So what, you said 2011 wow. or so? Uh, my first trip to Yosemite was in 2011, yeah. Cool. Yeah. So, you know, you keep rock climbing. Obviously, you eventually figure out, yeah. like, okay, there's better ways of doing this, all that stuff. Have you ever had any form of mentorship? So um, that first year, not not really, but... Soon, I, I did find um, a good community of climbers who uh, who were willing to deal with my my antics and um, promptly told me to stop doing Correct these you. things. Yeah. <laughs> That's so, awesome. So, um, I'd say the first um, group I met um, who really um, you know I bonded with and had a lot of, a number of climbing endeavors with were um, Ross Andre and Eric Fisher, two uh, uh, strong climbers from uh, the Houston area, and. Uh, Eric Fisher was the climber who I first went to Yosemite with in 2011. Oh, wow. yeah. Okay. No, actually, let me take that back. I went by myself in 2011, completely solo. In 2012, I went back with him, and he had much more Yosemite experience with me and kind of was able to help guide me through some of my first climbs there. Okay. Because that first trip was um, another solo experience where I was just trying to meet people at Camp 4 and sure. see who would go climbing with me. And, um, I did a few things and I, and I tried to climb half dome, but failed three times. And so Damn. <laughs> had to come back the following year. So when did you transition from like trad climbing to sport climbing? Uh, I'd say maybe a year into climbing. There is mostly sport climbing in central Texas on that, that lime, that limestone yeah. climbing I was talking about. Okay. But really, I mean, like I said, most of it's 40, 50 feet max. So it's really, I mean, arguably more bouldering on a rope. Sure. Um, but I did a, a, a good amount of that. But really what uh, what drew me from the start was, um, was track climbing. Okay. And I think a lot of that may stem from reading those books, How to Rock Climb sure. by John Long, which... When you read those books, you feel like the only type of climbing worth doing is sure. is trad climbing. And then also the stumbling across some um, climbing media. Um, I think the first climbing movie I ever downloaded and watched was First Ascent. Not okay. the series, but this the standalone yeah. film hmm. from Sender Films, I think. Okay. And it's if you've seen it, has it's kind of like an older, grittier climbing film mm-hmm. that is all about trad climbing back before like climbing media was good like it, it was still just kind of like <laughs> it was still a little grainy yeah, yeah it's just like oh okay and you're either super stoked on yeah. it it it, yeah. it wasn't a jimmy chin film okay yeah. <laughs> you know Shout it was not it was not 4k or whatever <laughs> it didn't win an oscar is what you're talking it did not so eventually you know fast forward chris Sharma was not in it no is it even a climbing film at the point um so after you kind of have this, I would say, very interesting start to your climbing career, um, you eventually transition to Cincinnati, Ohio, and you start a fellowship here. Is that is that how we got to meet each other? Because we've known each other. How long have we known each other? A couple two years. years? Yeah. Two years? Yeah. So uh, residency, emergency uh, mm-hmm. medicine residency brought me to Cincinnati, Ohio. And 
You know, I didn't really know a whole lot about Cincinnati or even that there was a, a residency program here in emergency medicine. But when I was in medical school finishing up, you have to do, and I decided I was going to do emergency medicine. Um, I, you have to do some electives and other, other hospitals around the country to kind of like try other areas out and get people who don't know you to evaluate you and write sure. your letters of recommendation after, you know, doing a month in their ER and, you know, proving your, yeah. your worth. So I was actually down in Lexington, Kentucky at the time, uh, doing a month of working there in their, in their ER as a medical student. And the reason why I was in Lexington was because I'd never been to the Red, and I oh, was Googling okay. places that were close to good climbing destinations. I saw wow. Lexington was 45 minutes away, so I was like, okay, well, I'll go there. And after I finish that month, I'll have a couple of weeks off to go climb at the Red and check it out. Yeah. So while I was uh, there on that two-week trip, I got an offer from Cincinnati to come and interview with them. And um, I looked up the program. I hadn't heard of it before, and I found out that it's a it's a really good emergency medicine program. Okay, it was actually the first emergency medicine residency in the country. Shout um, out to so a, Yeah, we have several of the people that are in that program at RockQuest. Like yeah. at any given time, there's always some sort of emer- emergency surgeon, yeah. doctor, someone yeah. at the gym. So. Yeah, the joke is like the best place to have a heart attack is at the climbing gym. Because <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can I can believe that. And so I was actually living in my car at the Red, and but I had my suit in the car, and I got the interview offer, so I drove up for the day and took a shower at a truck stop, put nice. my suit on, and went to the interview. And then, yeah, a few months later, got an offer, and I learned a lot more about the program by that time. And um, it was only, you know, an hour and a half if you drive fast from the Red, and a great an hour and a half. Damn, I've never gotten there in an hour and a half. And I drive fast. Yeah. So you must you be drive going it really fast. Are you talking? I mean, yeah. So it's well, like, emergency. He can always be like, yeah. uh, I got yeah. emergency doctor. I got to go yeah. do the thing. I get there. I get to the exit yeah. in two hours. Yeah. And then I get to the cliff probably in like two and a half hours. They also had a, a flight program, which was a unique opportunity. So by coming to this program, I also got to um, be uh, participate in emergency uh, flight um, helicopter emergency medicine. Um, and God, so that's something so I'm, I'm really involved in. I, I get to fly in a helicopter and, and rescue people or... Boring. Yeah, what are you... Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, dude, I'm an, uh, a manager at a climbing gym, so uh, who's yeah. got the cool yeah. job? And he didn't have to go to school for 150 years like you. Yeah, so... so. If you want to make a career shift, what's my know? income uh, yeah. income to debt <laughs> ratio compared to yours? It's probably still the same. Oh, it's probably the same. <laughs> I recently added up my debt oh, and close uh, your ears, kids. I was having some palpitations the rest of that day. <laughs> You'll be okay, kid. It'll be okay. Don't we, check, we, we don't know, check the bank accounts. Yeah, we we know you know other doctors. They seem like they're doing pretty well. Yeah, they probably had a similar start. But so eventually you moved to Cincinnati. Yeah, you know I think I ran into. You at RockQuest. I was probably working at RockQuest or something like that at some point. How did we meet each other? I don't even remember. I think we just happened to be in the same car on a trip to the Red. Really? Yeah. And I think then we, I don't remember, recall what we climbed, but I do recall us having dinner at the Rock House and me telling you a terribly embarrassing story about the time I met Jonathan Segrist. I, I remember this story briefly, but you should share it for the podcast. Oh, I, I don't know if it's... This is going to tarnish my reputation for... <laughs> okay, maybe we'll save it for another episode. No, no. We you should we, say... I mean... It's... Uh, it's sh- So, 
I'll try to keep it short here. But basically, I'd been climbing for maybe two and a half years and was just completely smitten with climbing and climbing sure. culture and climbing media. I feel like when I was in medical school, that was all I did when I was trying to avoid studying was watch climbing media. I do that now as a professional. <laughs> Someone in their career, I do the same thing. And uh, I was on a road trip to Colorado for, I think, uh, a week or two off for spring break and with my girlfriend at the time. And we had tried climbing at the Black Canyon. And Which is terrifying. I failed miserably. That's a whole other story. Um, but we're after that, we're going to have a, a Bobby <laughs> series, like just <laughs> over and over. Tell us this terrible story. Tell yeah. us. Th- we uh, were after that climb. We were driving through Boulder. I'd never been to Boulder, and so I decided I want to go stop at the Boulder Rock Club. I sure. mean, it's supposed to be a really historical climbing gym. I just wanted to go look at it and you know just mm-hmm. see that bit of history. And while there. I was giving, just walking around the facility, and they thought it was a weirdo, by the way, because I walk up to the mm-hmm. front counter, I'm like, hey, I don't want to climb. Can I just come in and look at stuff? Yeah. And they're like, yeah, sure. Yeah. So I'm so walking this around. this fucking waver, you weirdo. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I was looking at the bouldering, and there was this human shirtless with, like, doing some heinous boulder, steep boulder climb with this, like, you know, this, you know, perfect back musculature and oh, this is getting I was just quick. gawking, gawking at this person climb, and the guy came down, and it turned around, and it turned out to be Jonathan Segrist. And I immediately averted my eyes because I knew uh, who, this, we're not who this man was. <laughs> <laughs> and I turned to my girlfriend, who was still looking, and said, "Hey, stop looking! Don't look at her! Oh, geez. Don't look at him!" And she goes, "Diane, and turn I, around! And That's God!" I said, <laughs> and I said, "That's Jonathan Segrist." And, and she, she goes, "Who?" <laughs> right? <laughs> she looks at me puzzled and i say he's like he's a big deal he's like a famous rock climber wow so your so your girlfriend slept with jonathan <laughs> she stopped that's why she's your ex yeah, yeah. <laughs> she's like well if he's a big deal <laughs> so we um so we we were on the way out and i you know i i i decide you know what do you think it would be weird if i went up to him and asked him if i could get a photo with him i want to see this photo i've never seen and she photo. looks at me and says Yes, that would be weird. Oh, come on. She's cock So you, you did it. And so I asked the people at the front desk, do okay. they think it would be weird? And and they looked at me like I was the biggest noob. And they said, he's a nice guy. I don't think he would care. Really? Yeah. Nice. Okay. And so I approached Jonathan and I said, hey, you know, I'm uh, I'm uh, kind of new to climbing. But, um, you know, I've seen some of your videos and really you know, respect what you're doing. Sweet. And did you tell him you were going to be a doctor? <laughs> what's know. more what do you think is more impressive <laughs> being a professional rock climber or being a doctor uh, i think they're it's hard to compare the two they're, they're both we'll, we'll talk about this yeah. off the podcast yeah a- aka it's so much cooler to be a climber <laughs> uh, but i save lives though so so keep going you, we, you, uh, you go so so he's like yeah yeah uh, no ask him if i could get a photo with him yeah and he's like, yeah yeah not a problem and so i hand the so uh girlfriend's taking a photo I am standing with Jonathan, and he's shirtless, and he goes, oh, hey, give me one second. Let me put my shirt on. Okay. And this, I don't know what came over me. I said, no, no, no. I'll just take my shirt off. (laughs) Wow. Did you bring lube with you? (laughs) You're like, I might masturbate in this photo as well. Oh, my God. So you took your shirt off, too. Yeah. That's awesome. Woo. 
I did not expect that one. That's a <laughs> that's a curveball. That's a. I'm over here like you think you know it's fine. You look so good. No, you took it to a whole other level. So I think this is important. If you're still listening to our podcast, let us know if you think Bobby made the right decision <laughs> to take his shirt off too. So what happens next? Was he was he like this is fucking weird. this guy's weird? So things got quiet. <laughs> that's a good sign. The photo was taken. We shook hands and I uh, departed the facility. And we were driving, me and my girlfriend were driving back to Houston. And I don't know, maybe, and I was just on cloud nine. Yeah. Uh, you kind of met like a, a superstar. Yeah, was I was cool. in my own world. And maybe 30 minutes of quiet passed before I decided, oh, we haven't talked in a while. And I yeah. realized that I was being ignored. And that Whoa. things were things were a little awkward. Damn, and so I decided to ask, you know, was that weird what happened back there? And it was like, the floodgates. She's like, you had a boner. Like, <laughs> it wasn't that you took your shirt off. It was the fact that you were erect when the so I had to taken. crop it out. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that that's um, Jonathan. If you ever hear this uh, this podcast, uh, please forgive me for being a weirdo. If we ever day. get big enough. To where we can start interviewing yeah. real climbers. I'm gonna fucking ask him. <laughs> like, What's the weirdest fan encounter you've ever had? And if it's not that story, then you're clear. Then dude. you're, you're fine. He probably did. He probably gets so many weird shit. Like, can you fucking I don't know sign my nipple? I don't know. Like, you are weird. <laughs> you know, I I think as a professional rock climber, it's one of two things, right? You live by a sword, you die by the sword, right? So it's in your best interest, obviously, to be super kind, nice, you know, uh and an ambassador for the sport and get people psyched. And like you said, you were up and over the moon, A, to meet him, and then two, to meet the guy, and he was awesome. He was nice. He was kind and all that jazz. So Yeah, and I think... And, and that's I, cool. That's a cool thing about Jonathan Seagrass. And a cool thing about our sport. Yeah, so totally cool. You know, if you've been climbing long enough, you're going to run into these people. At some point, yeah. sure. So we just have to do a quick announcement, team. Right now, we're all enjoying the Taft's Cincy Cobra Hazy Citra IPA. So, you guys have already had some. What do you guys think so far? I'm going to be honest. I'm still partial to the basic citrus IPA. That thing has warmed its way into my heart. Okay. I love that, but I mean, this is pretty This, this pretty one's a little good. lighter on the Citra. Yeah, it's it's not quite as like fruity. The aroma, yeah. But it's, it still doesn't beat you over the face with the hops, man. They're They're nailing the... Tame IPA for me. What do you think, Bobby? Do you like it? Oh, I'm a diehard fan of Taft's. Damn. Damn. We are so. too now. <clears throat> I mean, I think in Cincinnati, we're, we're spoiled. We're so spoiled. We have, it's so good. This is a beer city. This, there's nothing else to do here. Get drunk and watch the Reds play baseball and lose. I don't, yeah, I don't know about the baseball thing, but the beer is pretty, beer's pretty fucking good. Yeah, shout out to Taft's for hooking us up. No, this is a great beer. I think it's a, a lot more drinkable. Probably has a lower IBU than like their normal IPA or even the um, Citra. So it's good drinkable. So you meet John Seagrass, you're a weirdo. <laughs> I think we, I've never had that. I've never had that encounter. I I once met Tommy Caldwell and I, that's not the same. Actually, it's not accurate. At one point, I was in the same vicinity as Tommy Caldwell. <laughs> I was going to say, let's be let's be real here. And I watched so many people like bombard him that it made me never ever want to mm. talk to a professional. Was this climber. post or pre Don Wall? I don't really remember. It was when they came to the red. They were doing like huh. the oh the black, black diamond, diamond thing. Yeah, project. I was. Oh, we did you what? 
he was at Rock House. He was at Rock House. Oh yeah, my god! Guy. Yeah, I was. That was that was an experience. Cause what was funny is like he's just there to like get a hamburger and whatever. Well, there's a bunch of other pros. There's like Carlo was there, uh, Joe Kinder was there, Nina Williams was there, and like Tommy just trumped all of them. They're yeah. all like, I don't know who you guys are. Like, <laughs> Do you see guy, Tommy? Yeah, he just said Don Don so. uh, That was I. So this is funny. When I was in college, I had a, a little band, and in Murfreesboro. Shout out to all our listeners in Murfreesboro. Shout out to all of them. Um, whatever. We did a little thing, and we were like, we had a couple fans. Someone asked me for my autograph once, and I was like, I'm a shitty guitar player in college. I don't deserve this. So since then, I've never really, like, I haven't asked for autographs. I haven't, like, at the very least, I'm like, hey, I really like you. Thank you for being you. And then I... End it. I don't really do the picture autograph thing because it feels it felt weird at me. I, I can only imagine like these are just dudes trying to live their life and climb and climb. I don't know. Climbing celebrities are always weird to me. I I suspect that this might be changing as the sport is gaining more popularity and rapidly becoming mainstream. Is that they don't historically at least they don't get enough of that attention to the point that they are overwhelmed or burnt out by it which is like you know i don't know if you've ever met drew mack no um, i don't think i have super super great dude nice just very approachable and i always feel bad because every time i go to the rock house or miguel's or whatever grab a bite to eat i always see him and he's just trying to mind his own dang business and then someone's like hey drew what's up? and he's like and he's super nice like Thank you. Oh, yeah. Thanks. Nice to meet you. Whatever. Yeah. Because he's on the come up. Right. But I'm still like, <laughs> you know, it's like you're famous for pulling hard on rocks. Like that's yeah. that's what you do. And yeah. you're not like this, like whatever. You're not a celebrity, but you kind of are now. So anyways. All right. So part of the reason why I got Doc Nar on Doc. the pod- podcast is I wanted to talk about um, you just recently sent or, you know, red pointed a super cool rock climb, um, called last rights at the red river gorge. It's at the infirmary crag. And I had the opportunity to blow you on it on a couple goes. Obviously I didn't get to blow you on the red point go, but I just kind of wanted to know how do you manage rock climbing at a high level? I mean, that's a high level to me, but I know for some people are like five twelve. Uh, that's lame. Like, I climb five one hundred. I don't know, but <laughs> you know, Dang. how do you manage doing your projects and then still being a professional? Do you find that difficult with your? Cra- I mean, you just said you work twelve hours. Yeah, you do like multiple twelve hour shifts a week, and the I imagine these aren't like you go and sit at a, like chill and type yeah, in. Yeah, I'm sure you're probably you know, tired after you're these like, twelve hour shifts. So they're not always twelves. Um, shifts can be eight or nine as well. Um, nines and tens are fairly common. I'll be honest; I, I despise working twelves. But with most my, people would, so that's you're that's yeah. normal. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, with eight-hour shifts, at least, especially if you try to get a workout in beforehand, you can have a semi-productive workout before getting okay. into work. Um, I find that high-level climbing tends to be too cognitively taxing to do it after working eight hours. Sure. In a in a job that is as cognitively fatiguing as working in a busy emergency department. When you say that, you mean like your job is very technical and the mental capacity you feel uh, dwindles after you're working, correct? Yes. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I imagine, are you, 
I don't obviously work at a climate zone. I don't know anything about emergency medicine, but I imagine like you're kind of on like crank to 11 the whole, I mean, it's emergency medicine. You don't get to just like, oh, okay. And how are you feeling? Oh, you, you said you have an itch on your leg. Like it's like. Yeah. For the most part in emergency medicine, you tend to be at a, at a, um, I want to say your bandwidth tends to be stretched as thin as it can go. Sure. Because you're trying to manage multiple patients simultaneously, you know, five, six, eight, ten patients all at once. In emergency situations. And stabilize them and ultimately disposition them and determine who's going home and who's sure. coming into the hospital. And Jeez. if they're coming into the hospital, where are they going? What's their level of care? Are they going to the ICU? Do they go to the floor? And why mm -hmm. are they coming in? What's their diagnosis? And get that treatment started. Yeah. Um, so that you just have to make a lot of decisions in a short period of time. And so by the time I'm done working, I'm, I've reached, I think what people call into cognitive psychology, um, decision fatigue. Okay. And I really have a hard time even making simple decisions, like I deciding, like deciding what I want to have for dinner. Yeah. That's when I feel that. Yeah. When I'm like, what do you want for dinner? Decision fatigue. Like, like, I don't know. What do you my want? My wife like, never makes, uh, I'm going to call it, you have decision fatigue right now. <laughs> <laughs> a doctor told me that's Don't real. worry. Like that's a medical diagnosis. Don't worry about it. So how do you manage, you know, do, how do you rock climb at that level at 512 and then still get to So what? one of the things that's really nice about emergency medicine is although the hours I work tend to be very cognitively taxing, um, I actually work fewer hours than many of my colleagues on the inpatient side. Um, so many hours do you think you work a week? Um, as a resident, oh, 60, 70. Um, once I'm complete with When's the training, last time you worked 40 hours, Tyler? <laughs> uh, uh, no comment. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so proceed. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, I have days off, and they're sporadic. But when I have days off, I um, I do everything I can to get down to the red sure. if the weather permits and sometimes even if the weather doesn't permit. Yeah, definitely. And being within a day-trippable drive of the red is is really critical to being able to to maintain my my climbing ambitions mm -hmm. uh, while still balancing out my 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 um my career. And honestly, I I don't think I would be as effective of a clinician and honestly as empathetic of a clinician as I would be otherwise if I didn't have something like climbing to really balance me out and give me that that out. Because I find that even if I've been fatigued from a hard week of work and maybe a little bit burnt out because I've had some patient encounters which were really taxed my empathy or some encounters with colleagues in the hospital that... Um, left me not feeling very uh valued or yeah interpreted yeah, yeah. correctly that you know just being able to get outside and climb for four or five hours and be out in the outdoors and with my friends and try hard can really recharge you Definitely. i mean even if physically i might be a little a little tired the next day just mentally and emotionally i feel much more willing to to do the job again well so let me ask you because obviously like we want to get into your this the project mentality um but as we were kind of you know talking before we started recording like so if you're mentally taxed just to the ex the extreme most days that you work because of the nature of your job um do you find the the mental 
like the the project mentality the like the try hard Mm -hmm. i feel like for me that's equally mentally draining Mm -hmm. because you know you're 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 working through beta or whatever Mm -hmm. you know you're you're on, you're engaged mm-hmm. fully while you're climbing. Yeah. I, I feel like, you know, sometimes I don't climb because I had a long week and I'm mm-hmm. like, the last thing I want to do is go and try hard, you yeah. know? So how do you judge like a 60, 70 hour work week of full capacity mental process? And then, okay, now I'm going to go out and climb as hard as I can. So the truth is that the, my best climbing doesn't happen when I'm working busy weeks like that. Sure. Uh, I can get out there and I can do some training and I can start projects, but if I'm going to really close the book on things, I need to have periods where I have a little bit more time off. So I try to squeeze those into uh, weeks where I have less of a less of a workload. For instance, when I was when I sent last rights, I was on an elective period where I was doing a lot of administrative work for the flight program, which I am the uh, one of the medical directors for, and so I was in much more of a nine to five position and not in a, not being stressed out by being in the emergency department. Sure. So okay. you're worried less about the Sendex yeah. and more like, okay, I've had, yeah. I've had some decompression time yeah. now. I can, so do you plan your projects accordingly while you're climbing yeah. for those times? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I know my schedule ahead of time and I know, Hey, in the, in the coming spring, when I set up my schedule, I try to make sure that I have some lower workloads during the, the peak, um, climbing season at the red Jeez. okay yeah. so you're i mean you're planning months in advance for yeah, years in advance so wow. walk i mean walk us through so you said last rights what what is that uh that's is that a uh, infirmary yeah it's at the infirmary and what's in what's the grade what's the the specific grade it's 12b 12b okay originally went up at 12c and was later downgraded Those to 12B. Those assholes who B. want to downgrade everything <laughs> um so you you got the 12b um what what was your how how many times did you did you work? So this was the so I did it this season and so it took me one season which I've climbed some other twelve Bs which took me more than one season. But this I one, can name one. Yeah, <laughs> this uh, this route. I mean, I'd seen it every. I mean, I've climbed at the infirmary multiple times and it's my favorite crag at the red. And when you walk into the infirmary cave, I mean, last rites is the line it's the it's the proud the line, line at the red that just draws your and really demands your attention it's there mm-hmm. right up the middle the steepest section stands all by itself and it just really is awe-inspiring and it's a it's a beautiful line and i'd always wanted to get on the route but honestly i find the route to the infirmary to be quite stout and i always have to work very hard i feel like to 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 do them Mm-hmm. And so that route had always intimidated me because routes that were easier than it, I really struggled to to do. But this year I had managed to stand quite a number of the other routes a bit easier than that one at that crag. And one of them I'd sent fairly quickly. And so I still had some time left in the season. So I thought, okay, let me get on it and see how it feels. And it'll probably be a long-term project that, sure, you know, I'll have to come back to. Um, but I was able to get to the chains and, you know, there were definitely some hard segments I wasn't sure about, but decided, you know, maybe with some work in a few sessions, this could potentially happen. Yeah, this you did season. all the moves. Yeah. You can totally do it if you do all the moves. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> totally. yeah. It might just take you longer than you yeah. expect. <laughs> yeah. Climbing at the red has been just a huge learning process these past four years because prior to 
to moving to Cincinnati, I'd never really sport climbed like that. I mean, like I said, climbing in central Texas was more akin to, I feel like, bouldering on, on a rope. And so really that power endurance style of climbing, I had just never experienced because prior to moving here, I really had focused on traditional climbing, big wall climbing, and um, to a lesser extent, bouldering. Sure. And I've done a number of trips to Yosemite and uh, to Waco Tanks and um, done some really um, good climbs out there. But I really think it's taken four years to learn and develop the, the, I guess, the physicality to do that mm-hmm. style of rock climbing. And I still, I've never felt like it's been my style. Sure. Like, it's just, I don't know, I, I, I have some insecurities. Like, I think I'm a kind of a larger climber. Like, I'm sure. very tall and have some extra, and this is a result of being tall. I'm a little bit heavier than I think. So how tall are you? I'm 6'3". So 6'3". How much yeah. do you weigh? 175. Okay. But if I really try so hard. Pretty, so pretty. If I try hard, I can weight. get. I can get. You're clocking in at 180. <laughs> but regardless, you know, you're a taller guy. You're not like five. I mean, you look at all the pro climbers are like yeah. five eight. Well, and especially yeah. at, at the red, I think we've as, as steep as everything is, like the value of high feet is crucial. And I think a lot of people, when pe- I hear at the gym a lot, of people are like, oh, you just got that because you're fucking tall. And I'm like, have you ever tried cranking a real high foot being six three? Like. You, yeah. It push when it's overhanging. You're now pushing yourself away from the wall, yeah. not yeah closer. My yeah. I love watching my wife climb on steeper stuff because she's like five two and yeah. she can just kind of like pop pop and go. Not anymore. She's climbing hella pregnant right now. But, Man, we could have a uh, whole podcast on yeah. just this topic, the right. pros and cons of of different Being tall body types. Not, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I think. I don't know. That just may be an excuse, but I've I've always found the climbing on those long, steep walls. I've always felt like I'm just trying to race the clock and beat that fatigue, and not able to rest and take my time as much as some other climbers I see on those walls who can just really go slow. I mean, I feel like I'm just I'm just trying yeah. to go fast, fast. And if I can find a good knee bar somewhere to really rest great but if not then it's uh it's always uh you know the ticking clock sure but uh yeah this route um took uh six seven sessions i believe wow okay. to do and probably maybe i don't know 12 14 attempts so was your first time on the route this season or was it it was the season yeah okay yeah. cool and you picked it just because you were like this is like the king line of the crowd yeah Sweet. i mean i'd always wanted to climb that route but i never thought it's something i'd be able to do um that soon mm-hmm. um but yeah so did you hear do you know like the history of the climb and all yeah that stuff so a little bit and okay. you know fill me in here what i don't know but mike wheatley our mutual friend uh bolted the line and i understand that mike was uh in the ministry yeah for his career mm-hmm. yep and fairly soon after he retired or maybe even the year he retired from the ministry yeah he bolted that line and he named it last rites yeah it was his last rites from the church yeah so yeah, really powerful climb. Yeah, and know what's so surreal? And I don't want to hijack your podcast, but like the day I did that route, my good friend Sarah Gross passed away from cancer. Mm. It was literally the day she passed away. I called off work, right, like any normal human would be, and I'm like, "What would Sarah want me to do today?" And she lived at the Red River Gorge, and um, I was like, "Dude, she'd want me to go rock climbing." And I actually went climbing, and and I was like, "I'm gonna get on last rights." You know, I've 
whatever. I'm just going to get on it. I was at the infirmary. Like you said, that's one of my favorite crags, period. Yeah. It's awesome. I mean, I think it's good for everybody. Mm-hmm. From a 5'9 climber to a 5'13 climber, whatever, it's amazing. And every route's, like, inspiring. Yeah. Except that one ten b Yeah. They're they're very aesthetic, and they climb well. The Shaw's factor's low. But regardless, I did the route, and it was really it was really something that's going to stick with me for probably the, yeah. my entire life. Um because it just felt a little bit like Sarah was there with me when I did it. So well, I love every Mike Wheatley route I've been on because they all seem bolted intentionally. Like every time he bolts something, it's like this route deserves to be climbed. I'm going to make sure this happens. I mean, he's both any Wheatley crag at this point, right? Andrew I mean, and Mike. I mean, yeah, Andrew's the, the done portal, a portal, you know, sure. infirmary, you got Camelot. Now I just, I love their ethos behind bolting and, mm-hmm. Infirmary kind of kick. I like your ride. I mean, every route kind of kicks your ass there. Um, yeah, in a good way though. I mean, it's like I want to keep going. So, so yeah. yeah like one thing I'd want to say, you talk a little. I have a saying for me personally. The red is one hundred percent about fitness, right? You're either going to think the the rock climbing there is really hard because you don't have the fitness, or you're going to think it's really easy because you have the fitness, right? You know, you have that power endurance. The movement isn't necessarily, it doesn't come down to like one move wonders very often. There's not typically a very hard, hard boulder section of the route where you then, you know, have to keep climbing at a lower grade. It's usually, you know, you're going to be paddling at one significant grade on the boulder scale for the length of the route. And that's, you kind of talk about that being maybe one of your weaknesses. Mm -hmm. Um, So you ended up doing all the moves, right? Mm-hmm. what when did you think you know when did it feel close when were you like damn i could, I think i could do this like next go or like next section honestly the rest yeah. it didn't not until i sent it really yeah wow because until i sent it i really my high point wasn't that high <laughs> yeah and i was still falling right at what uh what we'd call the red point crux on it Okay. And really at that point you still have a lot of climbing left. So so and one point of climbing that really made me nervous was you had to get established after the the steep roof bit on the slightly less overhanging uh face. Mm-hmm. And most people have no problem with that, but I think partly because most people I've, aren't a doctor. Partly because <laughs> partly because I have really long legs, I always struggle to get established. Yeah. on faces after getting out of a roof. Sure. Um, and it's getting my lay legs up over that lip and on that face. Mm-hmm. Um, and so since I knew that was one of my weaknesses and I hadn't even gotten to a high point that was at that area yet, um, yeah, I had a lot of doubts about whether or not it was even a feasible route for me to do. So, you know, for anybody who's listening that doesn't know about this route, you know, you said it's in this big cave you initially start off on this probably easier, slabby-like section. How difficult would you grade that that lower portion of the climb? Honestly, I mean, five, eight, five, nine. People Jeez. probably say it's harder, but truly, I mean, if you talk about, yeah. I mean, I've done a lot of trad climbing sure. in Yosemite, and when you talk about like technical climbing on slabs and dihedrals, yeah, it's it's not that hard. Okay, but maybe your typical rock, but you know, t- red river. If climb. you're a red if river, you're, if you're climber, not used yeah. to climbing on that type of stuff, that's it's going to feel a lot harder because sure. it's, it's very uncharacteristic of red river climbing yeah so you know you have an easier slab section you know for a couple bolts four bolts maybe maximum and then you kind of stop at 
the caves portion of that climb, mm-hmm. and it it lasts what for three, four, five bolts. It's five bolts in okay. the in the steep section of the roof. Yeah. And then would you say the crux for you, the hardest move on the route, is that in that cave or? Um, or yeah, right in the middle, okay. about three quarters of the way up that steep uh, segment of the cave, which I think is about um. It's at least a 45 degree, maybe even oh, a 50 yeah, or 60 degree overhang. Yeah. yeah. And then what, I mean, how's the, how's the quote unquote boulder problem come down for that route? Is it, is it something along the line? Is it like a three move boulder problem that you found difficult? Is it a one move boulder problem? So the technical boulder problem crux that people struggle with, I did a little bit differently because most people, you're on a, a good kind of a rampy, a, a flat, ledge that he hands her on and if you're really strong you can recover on that but i just feel like i just got more and more pumped if i if i hung out there and then you move to a kind of a a crimp rail that you can match on there's plenty of room on and then you would do a big move up to a a nice jug rail not quite a jug but it's a it's a good it's a good set of edges but i found that sequence of matching on that crimp rail at the end of that steep segment to be to um my strength at that point was sapped sure so i actually found that i could use a lower hold which most people um what you would clip off of but most people would promptly move off of and it was a slot that i could actually get a good hand jam in there you go and i'm actually i actually put some tape on to really make it a comfortable hand jam there you go yeah and did like a sideways hand jam in this uh horizontal slot and was able to hit the crimp to the right of it on that rail but rather than matching get feet really high and bump and completely extend and reach past all that to the uh to the rail above so i mean would you consider that that's probably beta that maybe a normal person probably wouldn't be able to do because you're yeah you're that's reach. six yeah. three beta that was, so, <laughs> that was six three beta with with hand jamming technique. what's your ape index plus you know? three Plus three. Shit. Holy shit, dude. Fuck, man. That's a yeah. that's a long ape index. So, yeah. For anybody trying to get beta for this climb, don't listen. Yeah. <laughs> You're stuck so doing the crux. You said, uh, you said like six, seven sessions of climbing on it? Yeah. So... And and as as you said earlier, like given your normal job, mm-hmm. th- that you kind of have to do a better job of like planning out. Mm-hmm. Did you do any training specifically between sessions for this? Or was it just... I need to just keep climbing and slowly mm-hmm. kind of figure that out. Uh, honestly, this time around, not really. Uh, I did uh, quite a few roped climbing sessions in the gym, just trying to really uh, stay on steep overhanging walls for as long as possible and, um, sure. and climb or get a lot of volume in. Um, and did some cross training, mostly running and jogging just to try to lose a few pounds. Um, but other than that, not specifically. Previously, when I've done other grade climbs with a similar grade, I've done uh, you know four by four sessions in the gym, but this this season I just didn't uh, have the time to do that. Um, but so it was just time on the specific route that yeah. you, because that's always what I found interesting about like I mean you what was it the the real rock where Margot gets you know La Rambla and you see her like even when she's not climbing it's in her brain and she's like working through yeah, working stuff and and going you know and I know gyms the climbers that are lucky enough to either be setters or know the setters that are like can you set the specific move so i can work mm-hmm. but you're saying like as far as this one it was just when you could you go back work on it a little bit go back work on it a little bit and yeah. you said your final your your red point wasn't like 
it was just like another I'm gonna work on it and you never you so just, what yeah you just what kept changed climbing? that you were like what do you think changed that allowed you to do the route so I had a long weekend I had four days off that's good um and so I was able to climb multiple days in a row on the route, really just building up that route-specific fitness. Mm-hmm. And actually, the muscle memory, right? The muscle memory, yeah. yeah. And actually, Mike, you provided me some really good red pointing beta. Okay. And um, by telling me that I needed to rest one day and not mm-hmm. put in a lot of red point burns and more to spend some more time putting in the the beta burns. Sure. Because I had thought at that point I was really ready for the red point, but you watched me and belayed me on it mm-hmm. and with your experience you're able to say hey no you don't you're not there yet sure the red point yeah so break, and like break I said, that I'm, da- I'm still you know i'm not an expert sport climber so that was that was news to me <laughs> i'm not either <laughs> break, break that i think those are interesting things you know because we got a lot of new climbers so break down the difference between a red point burn and a beta burn yes i mean i guess i can do that yeah, do but, it. so for me when you are going for the red point, you want you have one hundred percent intention to finish the route without falling. You are going for the red point. And then what I find typically when it comes to single pitch sport climbing is that most climbers they go all in on their red point burn and they're just not truly ready to do that. They don't and know the moves or it could be a, it could be something as simple as they don't know all the moves. The <clears throat> conditions aren't very good. If sure. I remember correctly, Bobby, when we were climbing together, it was raining. <laughs> First <laughs> off, well, you know, you and I were climbing, it rained until like noon. We're like, all right, let's go to the infirmary. And we got there and it was literally in a cloud. And you're like, yeah, I think I'm gonna give it a red red burn attempt, you know, a red red point attempt. You said the like, humidity's at a hundred percent. I was just thinking, I'm like, well, so how long are you gonna be here? You're gonna be here for another day tomorrow. And then I look at the forecast, and tomorrow is gonna be like amazing outside. I'm like, I don't know, dude. So you know, when Bobby talked about, hey, I'm ready to red point, I go, well, you know, okay, for your first go, we'll I will make sure you're really good, warmed up, you're ready to rock, and I want you to show me your red point go. Right, because I've I've never seen Bobby on the route. He just told me about it. He's psyched. I'm super excited excited for him. So I think I I was blaming you. He climbs it, and I see a little bit of uncertainties. I'm seeing a little bit of fitness like issues, so on and so forth. And I just realized that like, okay, Bobby doesn't truly have this crux dialed down. He right. doesn't look a hundred percent confident in his ability to climb after the crux and that's right. a big thing right so what happens is a lot of climbers new old me you anybody we get fixated on the crux and uh, and depending yeah. on where that crux is it's at the bottom it's at the middle it's at the top we don't think about the rest of the route right you so, get through the crux you're like fuck now what? I, and i'm doing this because i have experience fucking it up at, after the crux and if the crux is in the middle, you don't have you don't have room for error type of thing, right? Like you talked about, man, I still have a lot of climbing after this hard part. What I really wanted Bobby to do was figure out the crux, figure out if he's doing it the right way, but then more importantly, figure out what I would consider the red point crux, which is making that transition in, up and over over the face, and then identifying resting points on that route because. Like Bobby said, it comes down to the fitness. He was a little bit worried about, you know, I still got a lot of climbing. I'm not sure 100% where I can rest and recover. Yeah. So I said, dude, 
find those. After he did showed me his rip point attempt, I said, all right, let's bolt to bolt it so we're not wasting energy because I want you to climb tomorrow. I want you to give this 100% rip point attempts tomorrow, and it's important because Bobby only has a certain amount of time. And, the, and, and we're in the spring in the red, which right. we've had a great spring in the red, but 99% of the time we have a terrible season in the spring. Right. And I wanted him to, I wanted him to do this route really bad. So once he showed me how he's doing the crux, which personally I was like, I don't know if that's the right way I would do it, but <laughs> was, hey, I heel, man, was I heel hooking at that time? So he originally was heel hooking and I was like, dude, you need to stop doing that. That's not going to work. You need to like, just get a high left foot toe in and then stab yeah. type of thing. Make, you know, try and be static, whatever. I dig, I digress. But more importantly, I wanted to identify like the resting points after he pulled the crux. I had full faith that he could do the crux, but I wanted him to keep it together. So Sure. Well, it's like uh, it's like the the NASCAR mentality. Like you got to know when you got to make a pit stop. And I think with fitness climbing, we forget that. Like, hey, you worked hard, and now it's e like you got through the crux, and it's quote unquote easier. Oh wait, it's so steep, and like at that point, even as good as the jugs are, mm-hmm. like it's you're tired, and you need to know you're not you know knee bar Mikey over here. will just pop a knee bar anywhere you can, and like completely shake out. But yeah, you got to identify the the pit stops when you can re- refuel your tank. Well, yeah, and I think it just kind of comes down to, like, tactics. Yeah. Right? And for somebody who only has a finite amount of time, I would say if you're dirtbagging it, if you're, like, a normal... I'm a weekend warrior, quote-unquote. I work a 9-to-5. I have a career. But for the most part, I can get down to the Red River Gorge every weekend. Sure. I wouldn't consider myself somebody who's held by the constraints of their time i don't have any kids so on and so forth so i think you know bobby says i've done a lot of other grades or a lot of other climbs at this grade i think we could all climb harder quicker if we got better tactics so do you think those helped i mean oh it was tremendous because yeah that uh bait i was using with the hill hooks was complete garbage (laughs) and actually so was that your was that your like "Quote unquote first go beta." No, okay. I'd started off actually using the beta you supplied. Okay, um, towing in on those on those critical holes because mm-hmm. I was heel hooking to try to make these big transition moves between um, between some of the larger holes in the route. Mm-hmm. And but then I had seen another climber do the route who happened to be quite shorter and lighter than me who did this heel mm-hmm. hook method, which just looked super easy. Yeah, and I thought, oh, I should. <laughs> as well five eight like who cares and actually it felt okay so i I went with it (laughs) but it just it just wasn't the right beta for me and actually i ended up really badly bruising my 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 calcaneus so the side from where i was healing and with how much force i was putting on it and so whether i wanted to or not i had to get new beta because i i couldn't i couldn't heal hook like that anymore it was (laughs) because i had i had a mind i had an injury in that heel at that point yeah so after we kind of, I remember after we had worked that and I I watched you mm-hmm. do the crux with the toe mm-hmm. and just the hand jamming beta. And then I made what I, I remember making you, quote unquote, you know, take it to the chains after the crux. Because I think also there's a mental capacity, right? Bobby's, all right, I'm worried that even after I do the crux, I'm not going to be able to take it to the top. Well, all right, let's bolt to bolt it or do whatever we have to, to get to the crux. Cause obviously this climb's super steep, it's overhung in general. Those routes are harder to project because if you fall, it's harder to get back on the wall. You have to have a Blair who's going to jug up the line. You got to learn how to blink, fill in the blank. I, what I wanted Bobby to know was that 
after doing the crux and being pumped, he could still take it to the top. Yeah. And that was, you know, dialing in those checkpoints of, okay, I can rest and I can recover here until I get to the next jug and so oh, on and so yeah. forth. I've, I've learned, I, I say, uh, one of the phrases I've used now is like, A, the hold's good enough. Like, it's good enough to get to the next hold, but B, like, I, I learned this doing like up, down, ups in the gym, mm-hmm. climbing up, climbing down, climbing up, climbing down. You don't need to recover enough to finish the route. You need to recover enough to get to the next next hold, the yeah. next good hold, rest point, and the next pit stop. So it's like you know, again, the NASCAR mentality—they're not like, great, you can finish the race. No, here's enough gas, here's enough tire, get to the next pit stop, and we'll repeat the process. Sure. And especially, I think at once you hit 11, 12, and that steep fitness style red climbing, we forget that like especially people like me that grew up climbing the tech oriented stuff that was mm-hmm. either just a long boulder problem or, you know, you're on the face. It doesn't, you're not going to pump out as much as you are like yeah. figure out the beta and go from there. So it's like, I'm tired. Okay. I know, but mentally, and I think that's what we did downgrade on the whole like fitness style is mentally. It's still exhausting because you've mm-hmm. got to think so much while you're climbing and so there's certainly an aspect of, like you said, uh, like bolt to bolt it, figure out everything you can do so that with your red point go, mm-hmm. you can kind of free yourself of all of that strain and just, you know, rock climb. So did you feel like the next day you were like, holy shit, I can do this? Or were you, you were still like, man, I don't know how to <clears throat> fuck this up. Um, there was definitely no, no, uh, I was, there was, uh, yeah, I was definitely not uh, secure about. So walk us route. through that next day, you know. What was your plan and what happened? What transpired? So Ashley and I, my girlfriend, who has she put in so much time with this route as well. She was yeah. so patient with me and came out there multiple days with me and belayed me on it and was um yeah, I mean, she was critical in, in, in this process. And she um she and I went out and warmed up on um recovery drink. Another Mike Wheatley route, like a 10B to oh, the far right. Room. Recovery room, yeah. yeah. And I did a couple of goes on that, and I felt good. And so I thought, well, okay, I'm warmed up now, so I'll just get on the route and give it some mm-hmm. red point goes. You did one 10B. I did it twice. You did two. Okay, and you were ready to climb 12B. I like this. So Nice. I might. I would maybe advise you differently. <laughs> but again, well, I'm not a you, pro. I'm not you would have been, been correct because... What happened was I rested and then there was going to be a two hour period between, I guess, 930 and 1130 in the morning when the route was not in the sun and the humidity was low. Um, but then after that, the conditions were going to deteriorate rapidly. So oh, wow. I had about an hour and a half window to, to potentially do the route. Did you consult the Sendex? <laughs> I had not listened to that you had episode not yet. To that's awesome. So he just knew. He's like, Fuck, I got like a two-hour window. <laughs> I got to do what I got to do. And so I got on the bat, and on my first red point burn, actually, I felt good. I felt strong. I went all the way through the crux, got okay. established on the head wall, and um, was feeling, that was, and that was a high point for me. And I felt yeah. great. Mentally, I felt good, too. Mm-hmm. And I got the first uh, rest on the head wall where then you have to go back left and commit to getting on the smaller holes and keep yeah. taking it to the top. And at the last bolt before the chains. Oh, no. On the 510 climbing. It's a little ran out there, too. And it's a bit run out. Yeah, yeah. Mike did a 
great job bolting this route. <laughs> I, I know, I really, I, I love it. It's love, good. It's I safe love falls. how it safe falls and it just makes the climb more interesting. I mean, there's what, 15, 20 feet between the bolts? Probably, up there. at least, yeah. And I've taken that whip. <laughs> I'm, so I'm, I'm there and I'm on the hold where I know normally I can. I can get a little shake and I can make that next move and make the clip, but I just had nothing left. I was completely out of gas. I couldn't recover. I was pumped. I was chicken winged out with both arms Mm -hmm. and just realized I'm falling and I was off. Fuck. How did that affect you mentally? So uh, I listened to your podcast on wobbling recently. Nice. And I'll just <laughs> wobble, refer, baby, wobble. <laughs> I'll just refer every, all the listeners here to that episode to yeah. get a good summation of uh, what transpired <laughs> following that awesome. that failure. Um, but yeah, I felt terrible. Sure. And um, I felt I was devastated because I knew that yeah. this was my last day, and th- the next day I actually was flying to Yosemite. Oh wow! Uh, for a three-week trip there and so this is my last and by the time i got back from yosemite um a few days ago uh the season in the red is going to be over Definitely. and then you know i'm moving to denver in july so this is my last chance to do this climb for several years mm-hmm. and dude no, you're i just back buddy <laughs> dude chill out you're coming back <laughs> and i just you know blown that that and i knew i only had probably two good attempts before i'd be too fatigued to do the route because it's so mm-hmm. long and i just blew one of them sure so the pressure was really on, and and your girlfriend said, "If you don't send this, I'm going to leave you for a stronger climber." Oh, uh, right, she tells she me said. that every every day. Yeah, <laughs> he's like, I, John, I saw a picture of Jonathan Seagrass. He looks super strong. The yeah. wobble at that point uh, we established is shit muffins, suck a suck dick. A dick. That's, <laughs> that's apparently when I am just royally pissed. That's my wobble now. Yeah. I'll have to. So I'm not the only one who wobbles. We, Tyler and I were just on a climbing trip, and he wobbled pretty hard. Pretty yeah. hard. And that was the phrase that came Shit out of Shit muffins suck a dick. Okay, I'll have so, to add that to that's my... too many words. Add all. that to my climbing lexicon. Lot, it was pretty cathartic. So you, that was your <laughs> you're, first... You're sitting there. You're at the base of the climb. You've told your girlfriend that you're done rock climbing forever. What What's transpiring next? You know... So actually... And this may be a, uh, a a subconscious tactic to help with alleviate some of the red pointing stress. Was I? I told myself, "Hey, even if I've got one more good attempt, even if it doesn't happen, that's okay." And in fact, I think I even told myself it's probably not going to happen, and that's okay. The route's still here, and it's been a really good learning process, and I've enjoyed this. Sure. That's perfect. However much of a lie that may have been, that's what I told myself. <laughs> it, I'm not going to be upset. I, I promise. <laughs> so, uh, and so rested 45 minutes, you know, had like an apple or something and then got back on the route and uh, that second go, yeah, it was just a matter of not being warmed up enough because I got really? through the crux wow. again and got to those upper bits and was able to recover and just, yeah, went to the chains. That's awesome, dude. So, do you how s- late? I mean, how excited were you when you flipped the chains? Were you just like, "Holy shit, I can't believe I did it"? Yeah, I was. God, yeah, that was in the top five for sure in terms of climbing moments. That's so cool. Yeah. Do you yeah. think how? I mean, do you think it was important? Because I, I, I feel like we get a lot of red point anxiety, you know, and it's like, I gotta fucking do the route. Mm-hmm. I, you mm-hmm. know, this is my last go or mm-hmm. whatever. And I, I know people like me, um, I told you before, I, I, I arguably my first project ever, like I, that going down the Obed and actually finishing it and like 
for me, it was needing to say like, I'm giving one more go no matter what. Mm-hmm. That it's my last go. Whatever mm-hmm. happens, happens. Mm-hmm. But uh, like you said, if I get it, I get it. If I don't, I don't. Yeah. Kind of eliminating. It's almost like a stage fright. Like, mm-hmm. I don't want to fail. I don't want to, like, if you free yourself of the pressure of needing to get the red point Mm -hmm. there, do you feel like that was a crucial element to the fact that you then did get it? Yeah, Yeah, I absolutely. I, I've, like I said, I'm not an expert with sport climbing, but I've done enough now that, and I've had enough projects that I've, that I've seen to completion that I have been in a situation where I do the opposite and I really tell myself it's happening this next go sure, and try to force it. And it can definitely um, add to the anxiety um, and decrease uh, your performance on the route. So is there an element of even red pointing your project, the hard whatever mm-hmm. climb you're doing, is there an element to like reminding yourself, this is a fun route. I've learned a lot. If I don't get it, it's, I'm just climbing. I'm still yeah. climbing. I'm having a good time with it. That's exactly. Yeah. That's what it comes down to. Especially mm-hmm. so, you know, at least for, at least for me on the, on this, on this one route that I think that was a, a crucial element because that, that was, um, that was the, the last attempt. I mean, after that I was spent, I mean, after that I tried getting on a five eleven, which I, which <laughs> I had, you know, I've climbed multiple times sure. and I, I couldn't, you know, I was bolt to bolt in it. And then the sun came out and it got hot and it was, yeah, I was over. So, you know, just to kind of like, to kind of cap all this, um, cause we have a lot of listeners that are weekend wars. We have a lot of listeners that are, when they have time, they might get a chance to go out to the red once or twice a seat or climb regardless. I, and, you know, maybe not the red cause sure. we're international listeners, right? Uh, yeah, we did. A, we ran a, our like analytics when we have some international. Yeah, no, really, no big yeah. deal. Where uh, do you know what we do? Countries? Uh, France always has a decent amount. Okay, Australia apparently like popped up for just a second. So we don't know if they're, they've stuck around or not. Yeah, you know, right. but um, but no. So you you got people that whether like yourself have very intensive, um, whether mentally or physically, uh, jobs or you know they don't get to climb as much as they'd like. Um, so like, what would you say for, for those that, I don't know, 512 may never happen. you know, I don't know. I feel like 512 is a, a big number for a lot of climbers. <clears throat> um, so for the, the weekend warriors, the people that don't get to climb whenever they want, or like yourself, I have to plan months in advance and hope that, you know, everything lines up the right way. When you climb, you know, with this last rights, you know, what, what would your recommendations be for, that the climber like yourself who also does want to to climb at that level so i recently listened to your podcast on that's why we're why, we had you on here why <laughs> we we climb and i think y'all had a lot of a lot of good points in there and the de-emphasizing the the end product and the performance and the goal i think is important and yeah reminding yourself um that really the the real reasons why we climb is this is this the experience and sure. being outside and being with your friends and taking that pressure off of yourself and trying to yeah be present that sounds really new age and like <laughs> that's a millennial mindset yeah, right yeah. There. but you're right i think it is important cuz mm-hmm. every it's easy to grade chase and it's easy to get in the tick list I, or and the i points. and i and i won't you know i don't i mean i am just as selfishly motivated and competitive as the next 
as the next climber. I mean, I'll readily admit many of my projects in the past and many of the feats I've accomplished in, in climbing have, have come from from motivations that were, yeah, that were based on, you know, competitiveness and just wanting to, you know, seeing something and wanting the number and wanting to prove to myself and to others I can do this. Um, but there's definitely, I don't think that's always a bad thing. Sure. If, if it, I don't think it's a bad thing at all. Yeah. If that's what you want to, I mean, now yeah. for you personally, is that, you mentioned like top five climbing, do mm-hmm. those rate as high as getting, you know, last rights? Um, because I mean, climbing was- is so multifaceted and it's really hard to compare different. Sure. And, you know, I've had the the privilege and the opportunity to, to experience so many types of, of rock climbing between bouldering at Waco tanks and big wall climbing in Yosemite that it's just really hard to to um compare some of those experiences on sure. the same scale. Um I mean if you I mean if you have to ask me what the best moment I've had in rock climbing was, it would it would be topping out the nose of El Capitan. Oh well, yeah. Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's obviously at yeah. that point. Yeah. Sounds boring to me. Yeah, whatever. No big deal. Yeah. <laughs> Well, first off, we really appreciate you being on the podcast, and I think we just wanted to have you talk a little bit about what it's like to be in your shoes. We all have a different pair of shoes, but there's obviously something we can all learn about each other and learn about ourselves from hearing other people's stories. So, Bobby, it's been nothing but a pleasure for being here. We talked a a lot about your personal life, but also a little bit about what it's like to project a hard route. Um, If that hard route's 5, 9, 10, 12... 515 we're, we're looking at you Adam Andra yep. waiting for you to come on to the podcast um, but more importantly we just want to thank everybody for giving us a shot for listening and um, if you have any questions please send it our way and give us some some ideas of what you'd like to, to talk about but again thank you Tyler take you thank you Bobby take care everybody we'll see you guys next time thanks for having me